how to present a plan virtually. <laughs> it's not that hard, but it, they're the ones that are going to continue to thrive. I even get it from certain advisors. Why, why, the, why the heck didn't we have this before? Like, dude, had it for years. I tried to get you to use it. Now you're just now getting into it. We are working our books really hard, and that in itself probably isn't sustainable forever. June, July, and August were better than expected. There was a lot of pent-up activity. In the second quarter, we saw a big increase in variable annuities, and our trend for fixed annuities came a little bit later. When you have a client that is strictly banking-driven, on average, it's about $800 of revenue to the organization on an annual basis. When you bring investments into the equation, it's three times the annual revenue. I just don't think they really know how to position insurance, right? So I think the plan is absolutely the right way for them to learn how to do it. Hello, I am Scott Staffis, one of the co-producers of the BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast series, and we appreciate you joining us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on the data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. This month, we are joined by two BISA board members and bank brokerage program leaders, Dorothy Mitchell of U.S. Bank Corp. and Paul Hansen of KeyBank. In addition to the monthly trends, we will hear them discuss how their top producers have embraced virtual meetings and the planning process. They also cover life insurance awareness month initiatives and the 2021 planning process. But first, we would like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to Chris Melton convey this brief message. We will then turn it over to Janet Capaletti, the creator of bankchannelresearch.com, who will kick us off with a trending overview. Chris? This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hi, this is Janet Capilati, the Managing Director of Research for Stathis Partners and the creator of BankChannelResearch.com, here to talk about the productivity trends for August 2020. Fixed annuities were up in August again for the fifth straight month and have risen 16% over the previous year, which is an accomplishment when you consider this is the first time we've seen year-over-year growth in fixed annuities since last April. Fixed annuity revenue penetration shot up 9% from July, 
to $325 per million in retail deposits and accounted for almost half the transactional revenue in August. The current rush to safety is evident as fixed annuities and managed money were the only products that came in higher than last year. Managed money fees have grown 10% year over year. May was a low point for VAs this year, but production has since bounced back by 70%. However, mutual funds took another hit, with sales dropping one-quarter for the month and one-third for the year. A year-to-date FC revenue was down just 2% compared to the same period last year, but overall program productivity had slipped 5%. The last few months have exceeded expectations, and if we're able to maintain this momentum, we have a good shot at catching up by the end of the year. And thanks again to LPL and Infinex for providing much of the important data used in our monthly analysis. And now I'll turn it over to Scott and Bob. Hello, I'm Scott Stathis from Stathis Partners, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch. I will be co-hosting today with Bob Mattel. Let me let Bob Mattel introduce himself, and then we'll have our, uh, our panelists introduce themselves as well. Bob? Good day, everyone. I'm Bob Mattel. I am the co-producer of the Stathis Mattel podcast series, and I work with Scott in Stathis Partners. All right. So let's start off on a, on a high level with the trending. As we look at August and really year to date, we obviously as a channel took a hit as this pandemic initially kicked in, but we've been doing a really good job climbing out of the hole and August has continued the, the upward trending and even rivaled August of 2019. We're kind of neck and neck. So, so the first big picture question is, how did August look in your programs? What do you expect you know, going forward? Do you expect this upward trend to continue? We did see a very you know, significant uptick in, in annuity sales, specifically fixed annuity sales and overall transactional revenue. So, you know, most of the time we see the, the reoccurring revenue, the, uh, the advisory revenue really being a very significant contributor. Not that it isn't, but it's a little less on the last few months because transactional revenue is soaring. So what does the trending look like in your program? And just give us an introduction and Paul, you can go first, if you will. Hey guys, I'm Paul Hansen with Key Investment Services, the broker-dealer division of KeyBank. I'm president and CEO. You know, June, July, and August were better than expected, obviously. I personally think there was a lot of pent-up activity, if you will, because people couldn't talk to an investment advisor or financial advisor. The rate environment has clearly played into our hand as far as, you know, what those clients are looking for in a uh, bank channel broker dealer. I don't think it's sustainable. I think it has a life and, you know, we're we're hoping to capitalize on it as best we can. July wasn't quite what June was. I think June, for whatever reason, really came and everyone said, you know, volatility, whatever it is, we can do more and, and, and get in and meet with our clients whether it's a you know, face-to-face or virtually. June was great. July was better than expected. August was much better than expected, but not as good as June. I don't see it being something that is sustainable for a few more months, though, to be honest with you, Scott. 
All right. So you're not hopeful that this trending is going to continue. I, clearly, well, if, if you look at what yeah, we have if in I front, could throw out, if I could yeah. throw out, I mean, you know, there's no branch activity to speak of. It's gotten better, you know, the last couple months. But, you know, these are the advisors working their current book and the rate environment working into their favor. And you can only do so much with that. So, so yeah, I just don't see it carrying on too much longer, but I'm happy we got what we got and we're, we're ahead for the year. All right, Dorothy. I'm Dorothy Mitchell, and I am the Metro West Division Manager for U.S. Bank Corp., affiliate of U.S. Bank. We have about 406 advisors, 194 platform reps right now, and we do about $40 billion in assets under management with revenues around $90 million. And, you know, when uh, Paul was speaking, I'm, I, I'm just going to say ditto. It's so similar to <laughs> our results, you know. I'll go back to Q1. Q1 was obviously incredibly strong for all of us. And then COVID hit and we're heavy in the West Coast. And we still haven't made it back into a lot of our branches, which is is definitely impacting our activity for new business. So very similar to what Paul said, we are working our books really hard. And that in itself probably isn't sustainable forever. Interestingly, second quarter, we saw a big increase in VAs, variable annuities. And our trend for fixed annuities came a little bit later. June was also a very strong month. July was better than we thought it would be. August came down a little bit. We attribute that to vacations. And then September is forecasting about the same. We've been running around 92% of plan for the last um, uh, the last few months. And we are seeing an uptick in fixed annuities in August that has continued into September. And the only thing I would add to what Paul said, I do believe that the market volatility is causing a little bit of a move towards safety. Uh, so that's why we're seeing a little bit of action on the fixed annuity side as well. Yeah, and Bob, I think you had a question about, about annuities specifically, right? Yeah, exactly. As Scott was mentioning, annuities have been soaring um, in the last few months. And we're wondering if that is a result of the ongoing rate play. Bank CD rates have been hovering around the 1% mark. Um, fixed annuities, you know, about one seven, two eight, something like that, depending upon the three and the five years. Do you really think that um, the trends will continue to evolve um, regarding the accumulation of, uh, of bank deposits? And, and, and as the Fed keeps the rates low, do you think this is sustainable for fixed annuities? And let me, let me add a little bit to that as well. Dorothy, you mentioned variable annuities as well. Paul, what do you think that the track is for um, variable annuities? You know, the, the, the trend towards fixed, I think, is a direct result of the rush to safety. There's three components, in my opinion. There's the rate environment, there's the volatility, and then there's the election. And I think that a lot of people who were on the sideline for the first couple months of COVID decided, I go to safety. And you know, we're all operating within a bank. So safety always equals a CD. And the CD rates are what they are, and they're not competitive. So it goes to an annuity. You know, it's, 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 it has some guarantees, especially the fixed. Um, it, it's got a favorable rate, and it's got tax advantages. I mean, it, it's just the perfect storm for a fixed annuity. Now, do I think that variables will come back into play? 
I don't know. I think along the lines more of an indexed because of that uncertainty and, and where the market is that I'll take the downside protection for a fixed uh, upside potential. I think probably more indexed than, than, than variable. I'm just not seeing it in variables right now. Dorothy, your comments and thoughts. I think that the fixed annuity, I think fixed annuities will continue to trend for um, uh, through the election um, and with some of the uh, continued market volatility. I do, we hope variable annuities continue to be a piece of the, uh, a piece of the business. And, you know, as the advisors have tried to figure out how to do revenue in this current environment, they've had to, um, they've really had to adjust their practices a little bit. And, so they, they, they're trying to find the opportunities, again, within their book, because um, they're not getting as, as much a new business traction right now. So I, I do think we're going to continue to see them try to optimize their, the, the assets that they have in their book. And if that's through variable annuities and fixed annuities, they will continue to, continue to do that. Are you also seeing um, some activity in the indexed annuities as well? Uh, we're seeing yes, we are seeing some activity. I don't have the percentages either, but uh, we are we are seeing some activity in it uh, and and indexed as well. Yeah. So what's your what's the status of your branch openings? Um, you know, because obviously that's got to have an impact, uh, especially with you know referral flow and all that. Where where do you guys stand with that? And 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 maybe as a um, kind of an additional thought. Uh, how are things going with virtual meetings? And, and is your opinion that virtual meetings to a degree are here to stay? And maybe Dorothy, since you're just talking, you can lead, lead off on this one. We have to convince all of our advisors that virtual meetings, I, I believe, uh, are, are here to stay. And, and the reason I say that, um, you know, in, in, my, in our market, what we, where we cover, um, it's just really hit or miss, which branches are, um, are open and are actually they're able to see their clients in. So when you look at our California market, which we have quite a bit of market share in, uh, they um, th they're restricted based on size of the location, how many employees you can have in there at one time, and some of those locations can only have two or three people in there at a time, yeah. and so they have to make appointments to be able to see clients. Um, in those in those locations other locations are, are larger like in the state of washington and in oregon they're opening um they're they're begging us to come back quite frankly at this point because they want us back uh, the wealth management perspective though um is that we want to make sure that our essential service workers which are of course the tellers and the you know the bank the retail bank personnel um, we want to keep them as safe as possible. And so we're trying to limit the number of people that, that they're exposed to. And so we are encouraging um, our teams to continue to work at home as much as they can, do appointments with clients um, when they need to see them face to face. Uh, and that obviously creates a big need to be able to be very functional virtually. And we've spent a tremendous amount of time uh, working with our, uh, with, with our teams, uh, trying to make sure that they felt comfortable turning the camera on, that they could uh, convince their clients that they could turn their camera on and they could actually uh, have a successful meeting. So we have made quite a bit of progress there, but I, we, have, we have more progress that we need to make for sure. 
Okay. And, and, and Paul, I want to let you answer the question as well, but Dorothy, let me ask you a quick follow-up and maybe Paul, this could be part of your answer. Um, I, I hear anecdotally that um, in normal times, when you look at your advisors that are on the leaderboard, um, it, things look a little different now. So different advisors are rising to the top of the leaderboard. And it seems to be those that are adaptable and embracing the virtual meetings. And so there are a few surprises that are entering the leaderboard. And again, this is anecdotally, but have you seen that, Dorothy? We've seen some of that, um, but I will say that our top performers, except for very few, um, have really been able to capitalize on and leverage the opportunities, especially some of the market volatility that we experienced in April. They were really able to to get in and leverage. So we, uh, several of our top performers are up 20% year over year. So they're really carrying the carrying our um, our group this year. There's some that aren't nearly as engaged and just have decided not to change, but um, the others have really figured it out. But there are some people that are inching up the system and, and, and going to take them over because they have figured out how to present a plan virtually. <laughs> it's not that hard, but it, they're the ones that are going to continue, in our opinion, they're the ones that are going to continue to thrive in the new environment once, uh, once we get past COVID. Yeah, no, I, I think we're actually in a very good asset gathering environment. If you're, if you're good at you know adapting to the current environment and and working it with virtual meetings especially because there are a lot of advisors that are kind of during the headlights during this period and they're not in contact with their clients as much as they should and there's a lot of volatility and i and advisors have told me that you know when you run into a client that has another advisor and they haven't heard from the other advisor or the other advisor doesn't know how to connect with them virtually it becomes very easy to gather assets from that from that other advisor correct yeah for sure yeah. It's interesting. So, Paul, what are your thoughts in that regard? Well, Scott, our top performers are still our top performers year to date. Um, I think that they've found a way to pivot and operate in this environment. I think it's more that second tier, if you will, those that have been here forever and they're dependent solely on the branch traffic that are really struggling. Yeah. Um, I think we've seen some lower tier that have adjusted pretty well. Call it what it is. The top performers know how to perform and they're still doing it. You know, as far as the branch openings, we have the same challenge at Dorothy. I mean, we're in 13 states, so you're you're not just subject to your own opinion or your own ideas of what happens. The states govern that as well. But you know, we started slowly and said, okay, you can have one branch that you go to. And we're now expanding beyond, you know, one and saying multiple, but it is, it is uh, predicated on, you know, the, the capacity of that branch and, and the broker dealer isn't all of the branch. So we, you know, we're, we're at the mercy of you know, how many people are scheduled to be in the branch at any time. But from a virtual meeting perspective, I think our folks have done a fabulous job. You know, the e-signature that we put in place a couple of years ago, it was pulling teeth to get people to embrace it and that's kind of forced everybody's hand but i'm still we're still not over 50 percent we've still got a lot of folks that are just calling the client directly sending something through the mail and really missing a big opportunity but the one thing i do love about what COVID has done it has forced our hand in the technology that we already had in place i even get it from certain advisors why the, why the heck didn't we have this before like, dude, we've had it for three years. I tried to get you to use it. Now you're just now getting into it. Interesting. 
All right. Well, that's it in um, in a forward-looking way. But I know Bob has a question that he's that he's really uh, interested in asking you guys. <laughs> well, well, I think both of you know my background centers on insurance, and I almost feel an obligation, as September is on the calendar, and September, as you both know, is uh, Life Insurance Awareness Month. But what's going on with life insurance? Is there anything special going on? You know, Bob. Life insurance is the biggest quandary for us right now, and it always has. It's, it always has been. We're not doing nearly enough life insurance. Um, I can be honest with you, and that we're not really seeing any traction from Life Insurance Awareness Month. We are looking very closely at how we really deliver life insurance as a meaningful and significant part of our business we're not even close to where we need to be. And I think it comes down to the sales cycle. The sales cycle is longer. It's, it's very, um, very hard to predict whether you're going to close something or not. We continue to struggle with, you know, the same place annuities were before financial annuity and whatever it's called now that, you know, how do you bring life insurance into this, this automated process? Because it's just too difficult, too slow. Um, the payout's pretty darn good, but you got to go through that long sales cycle. But to answer your question, Bob, um, we're not positioning anything for, uh, you know, Life Insurance Awareness Month, although we all should, simply because it's just an area where we haven't gotten traction and, you know, we, we focus somewhere else until we figure out life insurance as a whole. Let me let me just follow up because we were talking about technology and how technology has enhanced a lot of what we're doing in this in this industry. Do you think there are um, enough enhancements in the insurance space now to advance the sale of life insurance using and engaging technology? I, I think it's much better than it's ever been, whether it's cover VR or iPipeline, but it's only as good as the companies that want to make the investment into their future. And I think that's where the life insurance industry is struggling. I, I, I can't imagine if we were able to get to where we are with annuities, where we were not 10 years ago, we could do that with life insurance, what we'd be able to do. I just don't think it, uh, that the insurance companies are willing to invest that kind of money into the advancement of their business right now. Okay, that's fair. Dorothy. So, yes, we do have... Um we always have an insurance awareness campaign in September and it this year's it, it's an educational campaign and we're trying to tie it into uh, the use of our money guide pro plan and, and teach our uh, teach our advisors and teams how to incorporate it in with the plan we do a lot of retirement plans through money guide pro and that's the perfect age to identi identify insurance needs, right? Especially the long-term care needs. And, and we, we've actually increased our insurance uh, sales uh, this year, which we're really pleased about. But I really think the educational campaigns are always good. We don't always see a lift uh, necessarily from that exactly. But what we have done, we started peer group discussions. So we have about five or six advisors in a peer group and then they they bring plans or case studies to the to the actual peer group discussion and it's all led by they, they lead it they it's the, it's truly a peer group discussion and they talk about these cases and where they can you know how they could get insurance um, uh, in front of the client etc and it's helped a lot and so they 
they help each other identify all the solutions based on that plan and it's really been um it's been really well received and anything well received you know you stop but um we, we've continued this going and now we've added our, uh, our <clears throat> general agents or bgas into that process to help them continue to learn how to do it i really think <laughs> the life insurance I, I just don't think they really know how to position insurance, right? And I think that's where we've run into challenges. So I think the plan is absolutely the right way, right way for them to learn how to do it. Well, and, and that's, it's real important, especially your, your comments about Money Guide Pro and how you can really leverage a financial plan and the components of Money Guide Pro to, you know, really, you know, examine and determine what needs are in there. I think we had one other question too. Um, I'm sorry, Scott. Well, you know, Dorothy, you mentioned the peer group uh, discussions around life insurance, and I think that's fascinating, and it's a, it's a it's a very cool way to do it because you get the you, you get the group thinking about what the right solution is for this. I assume it's like a case study that they're talking about in the peer group, right? So yes. I, I was curious as you were talking if there are specific types of life insurance cases that these peer groups tend to focus on? Are they higher end? Are they business owners, et cetera? Or is it just all over the board? It's all over the, right, right now it's all over the board because they bring you know each of these cases into the discussions and it really depends on what that particular client's need is. Yeah. Uh, but I'm seeing, you know, the, the revenue I'm, I'm seeing from insurance this year is a lot smaller than the high the high-end cases that we used to target in the past. So I'll see it like today we saw a $20,000 revenue come through on an insurance case and, but they're random and they're different. And one could be for 75,000. The next one could be for 60,000 or before we'd see 350,000 or 400 because we'd be focused on those high net worth clients. But yeah. this we're working with mom and pop here on these particular with money guy pro and, and we're, we're satisfying all their needs instead of ignoring the insurance need in there and their with their along with their investment portfolio well and i think that's key what you just said right i mean we always talk about the the six core needs it's you know savings and liquidity is one credit is two income now income later protection and legacy and that's it right there's no there are no more needs right everything fits categorically into those six and we've done a terrible job in our channel servicing a protection need so that's good to hear that uh, even though some of the cases are smaller cases, that's okay. You're you're starting to to um, to service that protection need among a broader segment of your clients, perhaps, and that's the direction you want to go. So so good for you. All right. So let me ask the the last question, and um, just looking for a high level answer uh, with this one, and then we'll wrap up. You know, because we're we're into fall now. I'm I'm looking out the window, and all of a sudden the leaves are really uh, turning significantly here in the in the Boston area. So, you know, you always think about the planning process for 2021 when you're entering fall. And I would guess, and maybe not, you, you guys tell us that it's um, kind of perhaps a little bit of a uniquely challenging planning process this fall as you look to 2021 because there are so many variables. So just on a high level, um, are there challenges in the planning process? Is there anything that's kind of outstanding that you that you think you guys will do next year um, that you will plan for during this planning process that 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 perhaps uh, would may uniquely move the ball forward or any high level thoughts about the planning process as we as we uh, enter fall and and Dorothy I'll let you go first again and then Paul I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think this is probably one of the um, scarier planning processes going yeah. into the 2020. One, uh, we start relatively early 
and we project, you know, for the remainder of the year. And um, I, I, and then we, you know, establish our growth rate, which continues to change as we uh, go throughout, finish out the year. But I, I think we're staying the course and we, you know, we work with, um, we have teams of private bankers or wealth management bankers and advisors. And we plan on continuing to offer the entire bank through these teams in, the, in our metro markets. And the other thing that we're doing and have introduced this year is uh, our, those same bankers are now doing smaller version of our Money Guide Pro Plan, the discovery plan with their clients. So our focus is going to continue to be on planning for the bankers uh, to be able to incorporate that with their lending clients. Uh, for the advisors to become a much more compre- comprehensive with their plans and continue to grow the quality of the plans for the clients. Those are going to be critical and we will continue to um, compensate, et cetera, uh, based on the outcome that we want. We want to be a financial planning company. The other thing that we are very focused on, you know, we've all um, been the recipient of some really great, uh, um, um, can't think of the word, uh, a, a lot of money on the uh, deposits on the bank side so uh wait you work for a bank and you couldn't think of the word deposits (laughs) (laughs) i've been doing it too long uh we've we've increased our deposits substantially anyway uh with that um uh there we're quite focused on putting that um money to work in our investments as well so we are well we're going to continue to uh, be very thoughtful on how we compensate um, other members of the organization in order to increase the investment opportunity uh, for our clients as well. All right. And uh, I I love that little reference you made to working with your lending clients to bring them into the planning process. And that implies a really cool partnership that you don't see too often. So that's cool. Good, Good for you. Maybe in a future podcast, we can dive into that a little bit more. <laughs> Paul, how about you? The planning for you know, 2021. Yeah, Dorothy, you said that, you know, this planning process is a little scary. It's every year's like this. This one just has a little different twist to it. Um, I, you know, we're, we're looking beyond COVID. And, and what kind of company are we going to be? And you mentioned planning and advice. Um, in the entire bank, Dorothy. And that's what we've been trying to instill over the last two years since 2019, that, you know, you're not a financial slash investment advisor. You're a financial advisor that works for a bank. And there is more to it than just the investment component of it. And how do we take our best sales force and position them in front of our clients to deliver all of what KeyBank has to offer? That's coming for us. You're a true financial advisor, you're a holistic financial advisor. Um, we're going to make all of that a, a much bigger component of what you do. And it all starts with planning and advice. Because without planning, without the advice that comes from it, you're pushing a product, you're positioning a product, and it's one and done. And how do we really get into what that client really needs beyond that and how we can become their true, quote-unquote, financial advisor versus their investment advisor? So that that's where we're going. Um, I think it's a great upside potential for the overall organization. You know, we, the data shows 
Scott, you're a data guy, so I guess it's kind of like the data show. Um, the data show that um, when you have a client that is strictly banking driven, on average, it's about $800 of revenue to the overall organization on an annual basis. When you it, when you bring investments into the equation and you become the primary relationship for that client, it's three times the annual revenue. And that's where we're going and that's what we'll do. And our reps, our advisors can share in that revenue. That's, that's what we're doing. So, so, so right now, if you look at your clients that have an investment account with the organization, the annual revenue is a three X for uh, when compared to those that don't. When we show Scott that our clients that are investment clients that also have banking with key and more specifically primary banking. So look at it like a primacy checking account. This is their checking account. You know, they're ACHing their direct deposit three times as profitable to the overall organization. The the, the disconnect we have is we've got 600,000 clients that don't have investments. We've got 140,000 clients, some of which have banking. How do you bring that together? It's, It's the perfect scenario for an investment advisor. I'm sorry, for a financial advisor to go out and bring all of this and get compensated to do it. The, the, the revenue is off the charts no and we're, we're not there. Yep. If we can in- increase that penetration rate, the revenue potential yeah. is amazing. Just, just Out of just, our 590,000 uh, massive loan clients, we've only penetrated 9%. And it's, it's, it's bigger in that massive loan client segment than it is anywhere else. It's not in the mass market and, you know, wealth is wealth, but it's so small, you know, high net worth rather. Um, It's 9%. If we make it 17%, it's millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. So you're doing the right thing. So your 2021 plan includes life insurance awareness month in September to get to four (laughs) X. Okay, Bob, we're there. <laughs> we're there. And we'll Bob. make it happen. Thank you. Can anybody Thanks guess what Bob's me. passion is? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we will get there. I've been doing this for so long that uh, before I retire, we will get to at least 5% of uh, insurance revenue in the industry, up from three. <laughs> yeah. Dorothy, I, we can't end this without um, me asking you the, uh, the, 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 the question that, that Paul brought up, which is, you know, that, that 3X question. Have, have you guys measured that as well? We have measured it, but it's been a few years and I, I don't have current information on it, but it's very similar to what um, Paul, just, Paul just shared. And you know, the crazy thing too is that that's organic. I mean, that's just happening. That's without any sort of focus to it. Right. So my God, the upside is just incredible. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, I think that um, we we can wrap it up. Bob, you had some last words. Well, well, really, just a big old thank you to uh, to both Dorothy and Paul for uh, taking the time to prepare and and um, and participate today into the BISA for their sponsorship along with Ameriprise and really helping um, us take the uh, the BISA industry trend watch numbers to life each month. So uh, thank you to uh, to both of you, to Scott. 
to uh, Jeff Hartney, Jason Myers, all the folks behind the scenes. And um, we hope you enjoyed this, this segment and uh, there'll be plenty more to come. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see thank, you later. Thank you for me as well. Thank you for listening to this month's BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast episode. And thanks to Ameriprise for their ongoing support. We would also like to thank Dorothy Mitchell and Paul Hansen once again for sharing their perspectives. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling Fintech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. See you next month.